clubhouse. Welcome back to a galaxy far, far away for the How Uncivilized podcast. This is Paul, and with me as usual is my buddy Mark. How you doing today, Paul? Well, it's been a long day. I worked hard on actual work. Did a workout after that. Everything that's supposed to go into a day, I guess I've had it. You know, I'm into a ritual where I, I get up early and the coffee is flowing and I'm like, let's go. And I'm watching Kenobi. I debated staying up late and doing the watch party thing and doing that. But man, that's just 2 a.m. Where I'm central time. Come on, man. That's I a know. little much. Yeah, that's too much. But this one might have been worth it. This was, for me, a high water mark of the of the season so far. How, how did you like this one? I mean, I liked it, but for me, episode three cannot be outdone. Just burning mm-hmm. up Obi-Wan in the fire. I just still can't get over that. But yeah, this one had a lot going on. It's set everything up. We were kind of teased the final confrontation that we know is coming. Everybody was talking about, are we going to get a flashback to the Clone Wars? And boom. And uh, there it was. And that was so cool to see Hayden Christensen. I mean, you kind of say, well, he looks a little bit older, but not really. But I bought into it. And uh I just loved the cut back and forth between the flashback and the action and how it informed what was going on in the plot. That was really clever. I was really into it. I bet they did de-age Hayden just a tad, but not to the point of having it look fake, but just to take a couple lines out here and there, you know? Because if you see pictures of him out of makeup, he is clearly older than when he played Anakin 20 years ago, like, like we all are. And that was kind of like a a neat middle ground where they didn't push the effect if they used it beyond recognizability or some silly thing. They, they just kind of, you know, gave him a little more youthful. Maybe it was all makeup for all I know. I don't know how they, how they did that, but he definitely looked a, a smidge younger than he does in his press photos. Ewan McGregor definitely, he looked like super young and I, th- I felt like it contrasted with Hayden a little bit. He looked, I don't know that they were applying that effect. I was looking for it, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe Ewan McGregor's like drinking vampire blood or bat blood or he's got some secret. <laughs> that was so cool. And how they did a, a training fight. And did you notice that some of that action looked very similar to the big Mustafar fight? Yeah, well, Hayden had that, or Anakin, if you will, had that kind of flourish from that he did around around the back, you know, where he takes the saber in kind of like a, a spinning motion, but he, he handles it in both hands and moves it around his back while he, I think it's like a part of a spin. That one I had definitely seen elsewhere before. Yeah, and there was the point towards the end of that fight where Hayden's kind of just banging on Obi-Wan. He's down on the ground. And that reminded me when uh, Luke was doing the same to Vader. after yeah, chopping you know, at him, right? Yeah, just chopping at him after he mind-probed him and learned about Sister. Especially for Sister. And Luke's like not having it. i mean this one and the third one with all the action all the specifically vader action make these stand out and like i mentioned in the initial podcast or i guess the part one podcast as okay as i am with vivian and her portrayal of of leia the less kids you can have in this kind of thing the better for me You know, just the more believable the flow of the action is going to be if you don't have to take into account a 10-year-old. And so since she was sidelined for a lot of this episode, that made it even better for me. Obi-Wan's like, get the girl a ladder. Do as she asks. You trust me, I trust her. 
Get her the ladder. And that kind of gave her something to do. And what's up, Star Wars? There's always like a cluster of wires, and you have to go into it, and you can somehow hack it. Who assembled this place? <laughs> but let's uh, let's go character by character and make our way through the episode. One element that helped the plot along a lot in this episode, and I'll forgive it, but there might be some that don't, is just that in several cases, Ben and Vader, they seem to know everything that was going on already. Now, in the case of Ben, they had the, like you've already mentioned, the flashback to the lightsaber duel to inform us about why he has this very strong opinion about the way Vader is going to play his siege and, and everything. What he, What's going to come is going to go by a playbook that he's already very familiar with. Yeah, I mean, Anakin's super aggressive. He's an emotional guy. You know, and you kind of wonder, is that just his nature or is it because of the dark side or his upbringing, you know? It's kind of interesting to dwell on that. And I think it definitely, you know, you contrast the light side and the dark side and, you know, with these two characters where, you know, Anakin's just always so um, aggressive and then they know know each other so well. And I think they probably have, to some degree, some understanding and empathy for each other, or at least they used to. But yeah, that was so cool. It's like you said, Obi-Wan knew that Vader would attack. He's not, he doesn't have the patience. He'll attack next. He has not the patience for siege. And I, I really like the way Hayden played that at the end where when Obi-Wan, you know, schools him, you know, you see the humility in, in Anakin and he, he kind of it took the loss and accepted the lesson. Um, then they get to in a fight with uh, Dooku and he's <laughs> back to good old aggressive Anakin. He gets his arm chopped off. So, <laughs> yeah, the point in time is hard to, to nail down in this one. It's definitely Clone Wars-ish, maybe even before Attack of the Clones, because he has the little pigtail thing in the back. I couldn't tell if he had both har both original arms or not. Yeah, I think he did. So that would put it before episode two. But to your point, it could have been further back. It's hard to know. But I, did you did you think that was the uh, Jedi Temple on Coruscant? Because I was kind of like, is that Coruscant? I was like, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely Coruscant. The the telltale buildings everywhere, and the the, the occasional giant building um, with like those trenches of buildings that are just run into each other that make the ground that cover the entire landmass of Coruscant. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Coruscant. It, it is weird to think that it could precede Attack of the Clones, but like right after Attack of the Clones, the Clone Wars began. His trial was basically that at the end of Attack of the Clones, and that's I think when all that extra hair <laughs> comes off, and they and they uh, are graduated to be Jedi Knights. So yeah, I think that's that's that time frame. So we, we had a pretty good reason as to why Obi-Wan was able to figure out Vader's plans is because he knew him so well. But he figured out what Reva was up to with just a little bit of, of interaction as well. What did you think about that, the, the scene at the door where and later where he is unfolding Reva's true motivations? You're not serving him, are you? You are hunting him. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It was like Detective Obi-Wan. It was, you know, we all had the big question. How does she know that Vader's Anakin? And and Obi-Wan just started 20 questioning her and he just, he just kind of figured it out in the moment, it seemed like. And, and yeah, I thought that was good. And then he was coming up with all sorts of good plans. You know, the, the negotiator, the general was back and he was giving the speech to the group and saying, okay, you got, you know, he was leading, he was back in it. I was glad to see that. Yeah, I was glad to see that. It was really cool. And I guess he just realized that give up my own weapons, there's other there's other ways to fight. And he realized he could, I mean, in a way, use uh, Reva. 
that moment when he figures out Reva. Well, yeah, we should talk about the fact that our episode one kind of prediction where, yeah. you know, I, I was saying the thing about the bridge and you were saying, you know, that youngling is probably Reva. And yeah, then we got that scene, right? We got the bridge scene where Anakin's coming through and we, you know, Yoda had said these marks were, these younglings were killed by lightsabers, not blasters. Killed not by clones. This Padawan, by a lightsaber he was. And so, and then th I think that was that actual scene, uh, you know, into the security footage, only pain will you find um, scene right there. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. And then we get the first person being killed by, by Anakin slash Vader cut back and forth, which was kind of terrifying. The kind of injury, just the normally we see like hacking the way that they managed to kill stormtroopers or whatever. But the run you through uh, action of, of going pointy end first is very up close and personal when they when they have to do it like that. The way they uh, cut it back and forth, the way he managed to kill her the <laughs> or try to kill her anyway the second time in this episode as well yeah so what did you think when he called her you know a youngling i mean did he remember did he let her live back in the order 66 days and then he actually remembers that or did he kind of mind probe her when she was an inquisitor after the fact like i mean obviously he knew this all along and he was mm -hmm. he was using her pain for his own benefit which is what the sith do what did you think of that i don't think he left her alive intentionally I don't think that the mission was to wipe them out, right? Do what must be done, Lord Vader. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. And <laughs> so he did. It's got to be what we were discussing actually the last episode, which was can force sensitives feel each other just randomly or does it have to be someone that they're very familiar with in order to know them and know their their force presence when it's around them this would have been just a random youngling he would have been off being a general up until like a couple days before that so his familiarity with her would be pretty minimal i don't know that every jedi he killed that night burned a special place into his his memory i'm going to have to go with he figured it out some other way that may have included a force probe. Who knows? Maybe the interview process, that that process you were describing about where they break down the former Jedis that they turn into Inquisitors. Maybe he's he's part of that somehow. And, and while they're vulnerable, he can poke around in their mind a little bit. I think something like that would make sense. Yeah. And so, but we, we finally, you know, learned her explicit motivation to kill Vader for revenge. Uh, to, you know, to avenge her Jedi fam. But of course, it's a little bit contradictory and kind of crazy because she's going around hunting force sensitive kids. And that doesn't really make sense. So I was thinking about that. But I think it it kind of fits the theme of the of the episode where the cut back to Anakin, where he was learning the same lesson. Your need for victory, Anakin, it blinds you. The lesson where he's just narrow mindedly focusing on his goal, you know, victory. Dark side stuff, right? Yeah, dark side stuff. Quick and easy and, path. Yeah, quick and easy path and just that egotistical emotional desire for revenge and it just clouds your judgment. So I think there was a deleted scene where Palpatine was telling Anakin, you've got to, you know, to become strong enough in the dark side, you've got to go kill the younglings and stuff to, in order to save Padme, right? That's how he seduced him into going that far, maybe. Um, so maybe that's, that's Reva's thing. She's going to go real deep in the dark side, justifying it with, oh, I'm going to get close to Vader and kill him course she shoots her shot and she, she's not quite to that level 
these are actually things that we have said in the in the past episodes of the podcast. One theory, I mean, we've had a few theories, but one theory was that she was trying to get closer to Vader. The circumstances of getting closer to Vader, we weren't sure about whether or not, you know, rank and file inquisitors got to see Vader all that much. It did add up to that she needed Vader in the right spot, in the right situation, which goes all the way down to one of the questions that I had. You know, in the moment when she has Kenobi, we're talking about Reven now. He's surrendered. You know, everybody has made their way to the back end of the facility. So there's sort of a no man's land between where the Imperial stormtroopers are and the landing bay where apparently two ships are (laughs) hiding out. She sends two troopers back inside with Kenobi. Knowing that that he'll he'll just get rid of them real quick. Yeah, that they pose no challenge to him. So I guess my question to you is, is it just that he has served his purpose at that point, that she's she's pretty much committed to her attempt on Vader, so he doesn't matter anymore? Or, I mean, it's a weird plot hole, right? Un- unless there's some forethought there. Yeah, I think Obi-Wan tried to sell her on this plot of, hey, let's go in together on this. And, and you know, the line he said was, because of all All he will see is me. And she knows that's true. She knows Vader's completely obsessed with Obi-Wan. So uh, I did think it was kind of weird that she sent him away because you need you need him there for that. But then in a way, I kind of thought that it was weird because I agree. I, th- I felt like it was strange in that, uh, you know, Vader goes in in the hostile you know, trekking through the tunnels. Right, yeah. And he's looking for Obi-Wan and he's, he's coming at it. And of course he comes up on the ship and that was, we get the the Force Unleashed, you know, grabbing an entire ship and shredding it apart. Yeah. And that was super cool. But but my thing is, you know, her sending him away with the Stormtroopers, what to me was, okay, we're doing this thing. We're, we're in, you're in with me. But then Obi-Wan's like, zoink, see you later. I'm going to go take Leia. We're gone. And he just kind of abandoned her. And then she she still <laughs> tried to take him on. Yet, yet, you know, he could see her because Obi-Wan there, that wasn't there. So I felt as if Obi-Wan kind of abandoned her. What did you think about that? I think I reconciled it with that Obi-Wan's mission wasn't to kill Vader. It was to protect Leia. And he had that short exchange with Reva when he was on his knees, which is, you're not bringing me to him i'm bringing him to you you're not bringing him to me i'm bringing him to you and i think that's when she decided to shoot her shot (laughs) because if it's not that if that isn't the sequence then this plot as for as cool as the things are that happen later they don't make really good sense yeah so you're saying he he deceived her he told her what she wanted to hear he figured her out and he told her what she wanted to hear about her her actual true ambition which is a a chance to get at vader i mean every other chance that we've seen he's been surrounded by other inquisitors stormtroopers etc this might create a situation where she'd have a chance to get him it's just it there wasn't a whole lot said or done there that would, there wasn't like a wink or something, you know, maybe, maybe sending him back inside with only two troopers was the wink. It was tactically so dumb for her to do that. That's the way I took it. But then that, that and then that's why I feel like it was weird that he left. But, but then your clarification that, you know, his mission is to protect Leia. Then all of a sudden that makes, that makes perfect, perfect sense. And he, you know, and protect the other rebels. I, that does explain it for me. Cause yeah, I kind of left that going, 
don't know. <laughs> Seems like a bad move, but okay. Yeah, that's how I had to tell myself it, the intent of the story. I just wish that it had been, I don't know, some more had been on screen to make sure that I knew that rather than I had to kind of figure it out. Yeah, and Obi-Wan knows he can't beat, he can't beat Vader. He's just, it's just not going to happen. So he's like, oh, this lightsaber's useless. So I was thinking outside of the box. <laughs> what do you think when uh, Vader was force fighting Reva, he's like, I don't even need to, to pull out the lightsaber. He's just toying with her the whole time. That was, and he did the lightsaber boomerang. That was awesome. All of that is, I mean, the way that he has fought Obi-Wan and now, now Reva have been super condescending. Obi-Wan, he fought one-handed and Obi-Wan actually fared quite a bit better than did Reva for all her youth and intensity and, and hate and all that. She wasn't even close. It's like a way of, I don't know, like watching uh, a, a kid play with their, their parent some game and the parent is holding back 98% of their, <laughs> their potential because there would just be no sport at it if, he, if they didn't. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, and then he, he finally went ahead and gave her the Grand Inquisitor gut special. There must be a real survivability to that because if that's the way he killed her the first time and she survived... And we still have a part six coming and we haven't seen her die. And we saw that's how she killed the the original, the OG GI, as I have in my, my notes for the original Grand Inquisitor. And he survived. I mean, th that seems like the if you're going to get stabbed by a lightsaber, then have it go straight through. Because that must be highly fixable as opposed to having a piece slashed out of you. Yeah, you got to go full Han Solo pushing off the bridge and everything. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, but I agree. I think it was set up for her to come back. So there's a lot of gut stabbing and, and people coming back, but the grand inquisitor, he, you know, he took back the hand of the King badge, if you will. And <laughs> <laughs> he reached down to get it. I wonder if I was force powerful like that, I think I would, I wouldn't even dirty myself by touching her armor. I'd just like flick it up with the force and, and, and seat it on my, on my chest. It's like a show of my, my own strength over her meager ways. Yes. And then what did you think, of course, of the big, the big thing? She finds the communicator that, uh, I think Obi-Wan really made a mistake there. Haja. Maybe it was Haja, must, yeah. yeah. Okay. He dropped it. He Is must that what have happened? dropped it. He dropped it. And then now she knows the biggest secret in the galaxy, in the universe. It was a just a moment where the camera was on her face long enough for me to know that when she heard Owen Tatooine, you know, the the, <laughs> the, the lights went off in her brain, you know, like the, it all connected. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. Why would Kenobi be there? You know, yeah, episode um, one, because I just heard children and, you know, his children. Or and I was like, oh, she figured it out and Tatooine. And but then, yeah, the name Owen, because she she had force uh, interrogated him, if you will. So, yeah. Wow. And she might feel betrayed. What you were saying earlier about the why did he leave was in their kind of a deal set up. Well, maybe maybe another alternative here that would make her sending him in alone a little more iffy would be that maybe she did figure that they would both take him on 
and then they, someone might have a chance of hitting him. So mm. if he just takes off, then all of a sudden she's super angry at Kenobi again, motivating whatever is to come next in episode six. When we get to predictions, we will talk about that. <laughs> okay, because I'm over. I'm already jumping your gun on predictions right here because I'm thinking, I'm like... It's exciting, yeah. As they left, there was word that, you know, their hyperdrive was down, they're being followed. Our hyperdrive is down. But then at the same time, I, I would expect Riva to go to Tatooine. And when, then we had the final frame on Luke. So, yeah. <laughs> that is my assumption is that she is not dead. I don't know how she's getting off planet because this looks, Jabim looks like kind of a piece of shit planet. There's only parts of a ship right within walking or staggering distance. So I don't know what good any of that does her, except to make, you know, a very exciting plot that could lead into a season two would be she's got to figure out a way to get to Tatooine with this knowledge. I don't even know that it's to get back to Vader now. I mean, getting Kenobi would be probably a uh, just as good at this point. I mean, it made me think of Mace Windu's line, you know, she's too dangerous to be kept alive, you know? It's like, I mean, with what she knows, I mean, does she, can she make it into season two? And then is there going to be a season two? I think at this point they're probably... That's probably going to go. I guess we won't know if they change the the ending. I'm sure it'll come out eventually. Someone will squeal. Someone will squeal. I'm sure we'll find out. But yeah, I'm just trying to project into the, to the finale. You know, what are we going to get? I know we're going to get some Qui-Gon. You know, I've been looking for this all season when the stakes are, are the highest. And maybe it's, it, it's going to be Luke. It's going to be that last moment where all hope is lost. And here we get Qui-Gon. I think that's what's going to happen, if I had to guess. Get that Qui-Gon moment. Get some forward momentum into possibly a season two where we have to return to Tatooine and help Luke, which was kind of the plot I was expecting <laughs> this time around, but but didn't get. I think that all adds up. But in the meantime, we do have to get Leia back to Alderaan, and we ha we're on a ship that isn't quite working. I think that's not too hard to fix narratively. Wouldn't you have called bail by now, even without your communicator that you left in the dirt a minute ago? This ship's got to have a, a phone, <laughs> right? I wouldn't be surprised if bail shows up, kind of swap Leia for Luke in the last episode in terms yeah. of which child is in danger. <laughs> a nice callback to A New Hope would be, say he shows up with the, with the consular ship, right? And he's got diplomatic status and all that stuff that would make him very hard for Vader to just, to just blow out of the sky at this point in the history of the Empire. Then you could see why he would have such a easy time taking down Leia's ship in the future, right? Being like, if this is a consular ship, then where's the ambassador? You know, that line. If this is a consular ship, where is the ambassador? Mm -hmm. Maybe because it's he's heard that shit before and he's not having it. <laughs> like, like there's that moment in, in A New Hope when he tells one of the officers, there'll be no one to stop us this time. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Yes, sir. It makes me think of like these moments that we're seeing where he's being stopped. He's getting fed up with it. Yeah, just like the flashback fight where he's he's confident he's winning. He knows he's stronger. He knows he should win. And then <laughs> it never quite works out because the light and the dark are doing their their dance. And the, he's he's won so much that I guess he's used to winning. And yeah, he doesn't always win. This last episode and this one, there was kind of this undertone. You know, we had the back to tank in the last episode. It's kind of like the flashback. Was that Vader's flashback or was it Obi-Wan's flashback? Or was it kind of both of them 
And it's almost like we've been seeing them both process what happened in the past and what's what's going on now. And it's all building up to the final confrontation. And so I guess we'll see how that plays out. Because it was kind of like that moment uh, in the first two episodes. You were kind of like, well, where's this going? And then they had that that ending of the second episode where he's like, he realized Anakin's still alive and it was like, boom. And that really worked well. Yeah. So I think they're trying to build up to that, to that moment. What do you think? Yeah. There's, there's only so many more shots we're going to have of Darth Vader looking up at, at a ship taking off kind of like he did when the Millennium Falcon took off from Hoth Echo Base. You know, he's just like looking at it as it's leaving. That's kind of the moment we got just before Reva attacked. He, he will not be refused that he got his reputation by doing a lot of bad stuff. So, and we've seen it a little bit of it, but I don't think we're done seeing it this season. Yeah, that was almost copy-paste from Empire, but I wasn't complaining. It was super cool. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, the, it's okay to do those kind of subtle callbacks. You know, fans will complain when you steal an entire story from something you've already seen, but just kind of visual cues that create what you were describing in the last podcast as George's initial intention. And he's described it as like visual jazz, you know, like this idea of like repeating visual cues that are just sort of subconsciously aware in the viewer's mind that help the story feel cohesive, even though they don't overtly seem to recognize what's going on. It's, it's things like that, you know, it's just that subtle few frames of film or whatever you want to call they capture it on digitally that register in the mind that help you recognize, ah, this feels good. I've seen this before and I liked it without it being fan service. We did lose Tala and the big droid in this one. Uh, I didn't think Tala was was you know going to make the long haul. Characters like that are kind of built in to not you know they need their their short sprint of of a of an arc which you know she had her as the black widow says red in her ledger that she she was trying to trying to correct she got her chance with uh, helping save the the rebels in the landing bay it was kind of interesting to see the loader uh shooting normally by most versions of star wars canon Droids that aren't outfitted for for war or or combat are like programmatically prevented from participating in combat, and he's just supposed to be a loader, right? But there he was shooting, throwing people. Yeah, she did say they reprogrammed him, so I'll, I'll buy into that. But yeah, I agree. I think her character was good. I mean, we met her when Obi Wan's mojo was still knocked back, and I think the <laughs> you know the purpose of her character was she had the line, "You can fight to make them better." her character served its purpose to basically motivate Obi-Wan to get back in the fight. Mm -hmm. And she got the hero's death and Obi-Wan had a moment where he reacted to it and they cut to Vader. And I think he could sense that fear. Maybe he didn't know what it was, but I think he was smelling blood at that point. He's like, okay, stand down and I'm, I'm coming. Yeah. In the episode, there was a brief moment where Obi-Wan finds a collection of lightsabers. Are you a lightsaber identifier just by sight <laughs> no i mean i could name the, the the main ones but no not really but i just like we talked about before lightsabers and boxes it's a thing interesting that those rebels would have that collection why <laughs> where would they have gotten so many that was like what six or seven that they had there is it maybe just 
there have been a few Jedi that they've run into that uh, have fallen in their defense, and so they've collected their lightsaber and, and moved along. Um, I doubt there's anything nefarious about this group, but I don't know. Well, I wonder if the internet has analyzed the wall of the path. So I guess, you know, Jabim is part of the, the path and we had the wall with the people with the scribbles where mm-hmm. people, the autograph wall, you know, I'm guessing it has something to do with, with that, that, you know, as these Jedi have come through, maybe they're, they were kind of stashing their lightsabers there and then they were evacuating. Well, so they're pulling, yeah, pull them out of the wall. Okay. Let's, let's take everything. Cause you know, the, the empire knows this is a rebel base, if you will. That's an interesting take. Obi-Wan knew getting caught with it was a death sentence, so he had to not have it. Or more like he needed to have it when he needed it, and so he put it in this hand. I think what you're kind of suggesting is that the rebel, these uh, surviving Jedi, they might not be dead. They just don't want to be caught either, so they left their lightsaber with this group so that if they ever joined up again they could be like hey i'll get my lightsaber out and we can rock and roll but i won't need it between now and then yeah and they are supposed to be pretty rare so you're right that's a that's a whole lot okay now the moment at the very end where vader pulls the ship down and then another ship squeaks out of the same landing bay i mean it was cool to see vader throw his ship around and pull pieces off with the force but I felt a, a tiny bit cheated because earlier they had said that they needed to do, they needed to get these people out of here before they could tend to returning Leia to Alderaan. I mean, they have only shown the one ship. So, like, it was really strongly implied that they just had the one ship. That's why they had to wait, right? Because they needed to get everybody on that ship. Then, once it was empty, they would go to Alderaan. So, to, so for a second ship to take off, because it was like just behind the other ship, tell me something that, that'll make me like that more than I did. I kind of bought into it because I was like, oh, that was crazy. Yeah, that's definitely a valid criticism. And, and wouldn't Vader could potentially sense Obi-Wan on that ship or not? Um, I think we had a similar situation in, uh, what was it, Rise of Skywalker, where uh, Rey and Kylo Ren were both grabbing a ship. And they, they thought Chewbacca was on it and he was dead or something like that. Right. Remember right. Remember that? Yeah, the lightning. Yeah. yeah. And they couldn't sense, I guess Ray couldn't sense that Chewbacca was. So, you know, their sensing ability is kind of hit or miss. So I guess I could buy that Vader couldn't sense Obi-Wan, you know, all the time. You know, and he was he was there. He was just one ship over. And and, and I liked how they showed it where he, he literally walked in the door and boom, grabbed the ship. It was really quick. But yeah, I could see how you'd take issue with it. I mean, they're always trying to do clever stuff like that. And I almost feel sometimes they don't need to ha- be so clever. <laughs> you could tone down the clever and we'd still like it. You've brought up the Force Unleashed a couple of times. And one of the aspects of that game that separated it from all previous attempts to portray a Star Wars action game was that you could do multiple Force powers at the same time. You know, you could lift somebody up, you could Force choke them, and you could lightning them all at the same time. And you couldn't do that before. And that was supposed to help us know that Starkiller, the name of that character, was mega powerful with the Force. The reason I bring that up is that maybe when you're using so much Force to to pull down an entire ship, it's tough to have that Obi-Wan locator in your brain be very accurate. Yeah, I'll buy it. Like when we saw him locate Luke on the shuttle Tidarium in Jedi, he wasn't doing anything else. He was just standing on the bridge of the executor, you know? 
And so he was, yeah, he figured out Luke was on the shuttle, but still let it land. This is a different thing. Now he's very busy with the, with the force. I'm kind of talking myself into understanding a little bit <laughs> about how that, that scene went down. We had Obi-Wan at the very end on the ship and he had a big reaction where he said something like, you know, something's wrong. And that was when Reva heard the message and yeah. that was enough for him to get that tremor in the forest that Luke is in danger. Cause he's so, he's so connected, you know, it's been, his, it's his mission for 10 years and he suddenly felt that. And it's almost like you saw him regress into the lack of mojo where he's just freaked out. So it's definitely, man, it's set up for that finale. One more week. Yeah. One more week. And in that episode, I think we're going to see Leia go home, be smiley one way or the other that I don't think that that's going to be a very huge event. I don't think there's going to be a lot of like shooting or anything when that happens. I think that's going to be like, uh, yeah, shit. Oh, you know, we have no legal right to detain this little girl from going back to the uh, queen and, um, viceroy of this, of this planet. So I guess we got to do that. I looked that up and, and, uh, Bail Organa is not king. He is married to the queen. So his ah. wife is queen. She is royal, but he, he married her and he re he received titles because of that but he wasn't royal himself and he's always referred to as senator right his his title is is viceroy but he is also a, a um a senator to the empire so yeah two two jobs <laughs> <laughs> i think the big deal is going to be getting obi-wan home and figuring out what is up back at tatooine and you know is reva involved is vader involved the anger that she'll have with Kenobi from, you know, losing to, to Vader, thinking maybe that he was going to be in on that fight, and then she just got her ass totally kicked. That'll make her very, very reckless. I mean, we know everybody there survives, but it could still get kind of very dicey, you know, cinematically. Well, you know, this, this, this flashback, I think the theme that we're getting, you know, Anakin's need for victory, it blinded him the Sith are just, you know, focused on their, their emotion. And, you know, Obi-Wan's trying to teach him that. And we can relate to that. Like I, I was a little league baseball coach a couple of times here. You think, oh yeah, we're doing, you know, everyone's just having fun, no big deal. And then the game starts going, it gets competitive. And all of a sudden you, this intensity builds and you're, you're zero, you know, you're focused on that, you know, more than you would think you would be. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of lose sight of, okay, remember this is just a game. These kids are supposed to be having fun. Okay. Chill out what we're seeing is this big contrast between the light side and the dark side and, and Anakin trying to control everything as Obi-Wan taught him in the past. I think he, he's now starting to remember that you kind of have to get rid of these attachments and kind of just let the will of the force happen. And I think that's what Qui-Gon is going to bring to the table when he shows up and, and Obi-Wan's going to reach. Cause you know, I was thinking he, he gets to that ultimate enlightened enlightenment mode in episode four, where he, he, uh, turns into a force ghost. You know, if you strike me down, I'm going to become more powerful. Well, how does he learn that? Um, how does he become the Buddha and just transform into the force like that? Qui-Gon's got to teach him that. I'm kind of hoping we'll get something that, that leads us in that direction so that when that happens in episode four, it could be even more powerful. I don't want you to be disappointed, Mark. I want you to have your Qui-Gon moment. <laughs> I've seen that Liam Neeson is, he's like publicly saying things that are like, um, not related to this show, but more like being cast as an action hero. He's like 70 now. He's ready to not be, <laughs> be an action <laughs> hero anymore. But being a force ghost, I think that's right up his alley for what he wants to be doing with his, his acting time. 
Yeah, and he signed up for the Tales of the Jedi show that's coming for the voice work. And then I think Hayden, I think we'll see, um, you know, more from him in, in Ahsoka. So, yeah, it was, it was cool to see him back in it as Anakin and, and doing his thing. And Oh, for sure. Uh, I think I'll rewatch it. And those are the scenes that I'm really highly interested in was just that interaction. Because, you know, for a Gen Xer, I don't have the overwhelming, you know, like the prequels are, are, are terrible feeling that a lot of my uh, contemporaries do. Yeah, there are parts of them that I that I would have hope to see something else but overall like if you were just like explaining the story and the world that you absorbed by watching all three prequel movies i think the person you're describing it to would be like god damn that's a lot <laughs> you know they'd be like that sounds pretty cool they're like yeah i mean there's a couple acting things here and there that that might throw you off but overall you're gonna see some really cool stuff i have as soft not maybe not exactly the same soft spot for the prequels as i do the original uh, trilogy, but I, I still look at things like that flashback scene with warmth, like like it's familiar. Like I'm glad to have seen that. We as kids bought into the original trilogy because we were kids, and 100. percent And then the kids that grew up with the prequel, the prequel trilogy, they uh, they same thing for them probably. You know, the, like you said, there's some contemporaries that. So, oh, that wasn't as cool as ours, but it's like, yeah, let them have theirs, and and it was all George too. I'm I'm kind of. <laughs> I don't know, feeling like a George purist, you know, like it, it literally, it upsets me that they threw his ideas in the trash can for the episode seven, eight, nine. Yeah. I would just love it if maybe they would, maybe they could make seven, eight, nine, or, or hopefully Filoni and Favreau are just going to do it in show form, what, what should have been done. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, you know, Snyder and the Snyder cut. And then that makes me think of, do you know... Zack Snyder has a Star Wars movie. No, it's not a Star Wars movie. It's a movie. It's it's a movie that he pitched to Lucasfilm, and they didn't want it. He rewrote it in a way that removed overt Star Wars things, but then kept the rest of it. And he's calling it Rebel Moon, and he's making it for I think Netflix. Oh wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? Huh. When does that come out? I mean, he's in the middle of making it now. I don't know if you ever paid attention to him in the past, but while he's making a movie, like when he was making Justice League the first time or whatever, he, he puts things on his Twitter to show you like pictures that on set that are not the usual bullshit where there's just someone not in costume or he, he, he puts pictures up that that look highly posed and like they're almost marketing material, but not quite that polished but still very cool and that's the kind of stuff that he's been putting on his twitter and instagram lately that's on my radar now sure some people don't like his movies but i like them i know that they are highly style over substance and you know what i don't care <laughs> I, I i still really enjoy watching his movies so it's one of those popcorn type styles very much. right yes very much and sometimes that's all i need out of a movie uh we got one more week mark and then um maybe uh, a short layoff as we wait for more star wars content and perhaps revive this feed for uh, the listeners we have that sounds good paul i'm uh Man, we'll be ready to go uh, with the coffee <laughs> come uh, <laughs> Wednesday morning of next, and we're, we'll, we'll get it done. Well, it's been a pleasure, as usual, talking to you, Mark. If people wanted to also have a similar pleasure by DMing with you, or at least tweeting at you, however they find you. Jiggy Nut, Twitter. 
It's spelled pretty much just like you think, except there's two T's. And this is Paul Daly. I am uh, findable on Twitter at Paul V Daly, or you can use Pod Clubhouse, or you know, write uh, use the contact form at PodClubhouse.com. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find it and enjoy it as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.